I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, there is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Well, today I'm excited to have Tim Stevenson back with me as we have a conversation around the last few verses of Exodus 5 and the first few verses of Exodus 6 and what the Lord has been teaching him. Tim is a master Sherpa executive coach. He's authored 11 books and hundreds of leadership articles, which if you are a leader, I'm going to give you a link in the show notes to his website because you definitely need to subscribe to his newsletter to get these leadership articles in your inbox. Tim has also served for many years in pastoral ministry, and he is just an amazing and insightful Bible teacher. And I'm delighted to have you back, Tim. So thanks for joining us again on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Jody. Thank you. Well, I do want to give us a quick reminder of the passage. I went into more context in the meditation portion, um, so I'm not going to do that here, but we are at the end of Exodus 5, and quickly, this is a passage where Moses is questioning God about why his obedience has led to really nothing but hardship for the people. So let me read this passage for us, and then we'll dive in. It's Exodus 5, 22 through 6. Two. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Okay, so Tim, we did this meditation process, really inviting the Lord to help us notice something in the passage. So let's start there. Where did you go and what did you notice in this passage? Well, it's probably helpful to get the larger context of what led to this. This was uh, Moses' first encounter with Pharaoh. He's met God who who appeared to him in the burning bush. He says, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go and then lead them out. His brother Aaron is with him. So he's come and he's gone to Pharaoh. He said, this is what the Lord Yahweh says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, what, are you crazy? I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) This is my labor force. I'm not going to let them go. They're just a bunch of lazy bums. And so that's when he says, I'll tell you what, we'll just make it harder. Uh, They need straw to make bricks, and that's their job. They have a quota. Let them get their own straw. So he tells his own uh, supervisors, I guess, don't give them any straw. Let them find their own. Within the when they don't meet the quota, Pharaoh has the the taskmasters, the Jewish taskmasters, 
or Israelite to be beaten. Well, they go to Moses and said, hey, this is really great news. (laughs) Way to go. (laughs) And this is your fault. And so uh, now the Israelites are angry at Moses because he was supposed to be a deliverer. Mm -hmm. But things have gotten worse. Well, see, Moses was already told by God that Pharaoh was going to have a hard heart. and He wouldn't let him go. So that wasn't a surprise. But I think it was a surprise that the Israelites would also be angry at him. Yeah. So really, it's what happens, and this could happen in our lives in different ways, where we believe we're doing the right thing as God told us to do it, but things seemingly are getting worse instead of better. That's that's kind of what led up to this. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to God and saying, "What what is this about? And so the Lord's answer is, I think, maybe if I'm jumping the gun, I've got a bigger plan than that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing in that context. It's such a good reminder to know where we are in Moses's journey. And he does have a bigger plan. And he says over and over again, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart mm-hmm. all the way up to the parting of the Red Sea. And he says he hardens Pharaoh's heart. They follow him in. But There he gives us the reason so that they will know I am the Lord. Yes. Now, we probably should say something about that hardened heart thing. Yes, I think we should. Many people have read theology into that, that Pharaoh was basically a nice guy minding his own business and God did something to make him a bad guy. That's absolutely ridiculous. What God probably did to harden his heart was actually quit doing something to it. Mm. (laughs) He was doing something to restrain Pharaoh's nasty heart that he already had. And by the way, in these chapters, I believe it's accurate to say that 10 times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart's heart, and 10 times Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Mm. He was not a nice guy prior to God doing this. But God recognized that if he challenged Pharaoh in a certain way, that was going to be the reaction. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh's responsible for his heart. And what God says, the reason I'm going to do that, and this is going to be strung out for a while, and you have the 10 plagues and all the rest, is I want not, God has to demonstrate his reality to the Israelites as well as the Egyptians. If you think about it, remember, this is before the Ten Commandments. None of the Israelites knew any Ten Commandments at this point. They didn't know any of the law. They weren't offering sacrifices as they later will, and they didn't have priests. Anything they knew of the Lord at all would just be lore handed down from the elders and maybe their families. And so how much did they know, the average Israelite, how much did they know about the Lord at this stage? Very little, if anything. So God wants his own people that he's chosen to see his power and his reality. He also wants the Egyptians to see his power and his reality. And the more Pharaoh pushes back, the more Lord has, the Lord has opportunity to show what he can do. And in the end, they have to say, he is God. He's the one and only. I'm sitting here thinking about how God's purposes are really for us all to know him. And he's starting at kind of ground zero with this group of people as he's educating them and bringing them into the revelation of who he is. And for us, you know, we are in a place where we see all kinds of things 
happening that feel good and bad. And this, the purpose, the overarching sovereign purpose is that we would know who God is. I think the purpose is still the same all throughout time until Jesus returns and we're done with that phase of history. Mm -hmm. Um, and we get to live and dwell in his presence without sin, which is going to be amazing. But I think that's still the purposes of God. Absolutely. Even for us and even for all people around us that feel like they have hardened hearts. Yes. As Jesus taught in uh, John 14, 15 and 16, one of the purposes for God answering prayers is that he be glorified in the name of Jesus, be glorified in the father. Meaning when he does something that, that is unmistakable, only God can do. We just recognize that. Remember, at this stage in history we're reading, Egypt was the reigning superpower on, on earth. So when God puts them in their place, that puts everybody in their place. Yeah. And so there's that angle. And so back to the first point I made, I've known many people who either became converted or became a serious follower of Christ. And circumstances in their life seem to get worse. You've often seen it in a marriage where one party either gets converted or gets serious about discipleship, and the other party doesn't like it at all, and their marriage actually declines in its apparent uh, sense. And so it's very natural to say, Lord, look here, I'm trying to do the right thing. That it's very possible to do the right thing in this world and suffer for it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost before you decide to follow. I'm not promising you an easy road. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could mean difficulty, even suffering. Death in extreme cases to follow Jesus in this world. And though you and I don't experience it yet in this country, there are countries in the world right now where to be publicly identified as a Christian is a death sentence or least great suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's always been true for the last yeah. 20 centuries. I, the words of Jesus, you will have trouble in this world. Absolutely. Are ringing in my ears, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And that's that long view perspective of what he is doing in spite of the moment by moment. And sometimes those momentary afflictions feel very long and painful because they are mm-hmm. and because we live in yeah. real time <laughs> obviously so we experience the pain and the suffering and i did i did in my early christian life I, I was converted around age 25 and my wife was angry for a year about it <laughs> <laughs> and let me know she was not happy she married a bartender she didn't want a religious fanatic <laughs> eventually she came around yeah, the Lord and she had had it out somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I've seen that happen to many. And so what's the Lord's answer? Same as to Moses. I've got a bigger plan. It's not just what's happening right now. I have a bigger plan. Mm-hmm. And we have Romans eight twenty eight. He promises to cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I've known many people who were disappointed or angry with God. and. Many of them that I've known are afraid to say so. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid to say it to God, especially. So they may say it to other people. But you see, what Moses does exactly the right thing. What does he do? He goes to God. Goes to God himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you really read the Psalms, for example, carefully, there are many cases 
where a psalmist, David, or someone else is saying, Lord, what the hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what the hey? I'm, this is all happening to me. This isn't fair. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, God, why are you hiding your face from me? Because they feel like he's turned his back. No, he's never has. He's promised I'll never leave you, forsake you, but they feel like it. So what do you do with it? Take it to God himself. Yeah. If you're mad at him, tell him. I've said this to many folks over the years. If you're angry with God, tell him. If you're disappointed with him, tell him. If you're upset with him, tell him. He can take it, I mm-hmm. promise. And besides that, he knows anyway. That's right. He, he, he knows your heart. <laughs> yeah. And it's still hard, though, to be that kind of honest with God in those moments. So from my own personal experience, when I have been really deeply hurt or upset and just really questioning why God, why would you allow this? Why is this circumstance happening? It's still very hard to be that raw with him because I know he's God. (laughs) And my anger, while real, it just feels small when I really sit in a posture of worship and openness to him, it actually, in some ways, maybe puts it in perspective, I guess, is maybe a better way of saying that. Actually, one of the most healing things for us is to worship. And and, um, Job, for example, who suffered Mm -hmm. greatly, didn't understand why he continued to worship. When David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, and then their baby died, he, he he was fasting and weeping for who knows how long right. up to them. But when the baby died, you know what he did? He worshipped. He got up and he went to the temple or the tabernacle mm-hmm. and he worshipped. Meaning, I don't understand. This is not what I wanted. But you're still God and I still believe. And so things that don't go our way can draw us closer to God mm-hmm. if we'll take it to him. Yeah, and I think that's a good reminder, too, that worship is not all happy joyful worship is surrendering and realizing that God is God and we aren't. And so worship sometimes is, you know, that awe and reverence and being in just the the place of realizing how holy he is. And sometimes it isn't because when I think about David, I think that was not him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. for <laughs> Thank you, God, for what you've done. It was like you just said, you are God and I still believe you. I still trust you. I I choose to follow yes, no matter what. Absolutely. That's the worship. And that's to me one of the great benefits of reading the narrative parts of the Old Testament is, see, the people living those stories didn't know the big picture always. Mm-hmm. They were just living them day by day like we do. That's right. But we are given a glimpse behind the curtain that God was doing a bigger thing. Well, if that was true for all of them, it's true for us. God is doing bigger things than we're aware of. So will we trust him even regardless of what's happening right at the moment? Yeah. And that's hard. <laughs> that's challenging. And I think looking back and remembering, and even in this circumstance with Moses, looking back and remembering what God has done before or what we felt like he was inviting us into. So he did tell Moses. Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. He knew this is going to happen. I think for us, the spirit does lead us and tells us this may not be easy or 
there will be sacrifice, just like you said, and scripture informs us of that as well. Okay, Tim, you have, tell me what else the Lord helped you see in this passage. Well, as you know, um, my major occupation for the last 15 years has been developing leaders. I developed new and better leaders for companies and organizations. I've written a book about it. We didn't mention it's called Better, the Fundamentals of Leadership. It's on, available on Amazon.com. So I, I work at a variety of companies, some secular, some nonprofit Christian organizations for that purpose. And so my eyes go quickly to any leadership applications in the scriptures when there's tons of them. And this one, it it makes it's amusing to me because this is this is Moses dealing with ordinary, normal human nature. <laughs> so it's just it's a fundamental of leadership that you have to understand people as they are, mm-hmm. not in an ideal way, because they're seldom ideal. And so you have to come to grips with human nature. Human nature can be selfish. It can be childish. It can be self-centered. Now, many of us, thankfully, grow into mature adults and hopefully godly. But if you're going to lead people, you're going to have to face the truth of what what people are Mm -hmm. and quit fighting against it and quit saying what they ought to do this. They should be that. What are they? And so um, I think you need a comfortable acceptance of human nature and then a confident expectation that I'm going to continue to lead them in the right direction. And if you if you follow the fundamentals, most of them will. Okay. Now, Moses, Mm -hmm. this is the beginning through the rest of his time leading them to the promised land, 40 years there's going to be a lot of occasions just like this where he goes to God and said, these people are driving me out of my mind. <laughs> and because they're selfish, they're childish, they complain all the time. And, and I've known pastors who struggle with their people. I said, have you ever read the Bible? If there's anything the Bible will teach you is what human nature is like. Hmm. You have to know what you're dealing with to lead them successfully. Okay, so I want to go a little more specific in that because I'm guessing not only pastors, but other leaders that you coach feel pretty certain they're supposed to do a next thing. And then they start taking those steps and it really doesn't turn out like they hoped or expected it would. I mean, that's exactly what it seems like is happening to Moses. So when you're coaching somebody and they come to you with this kind of scenario, how do you help them navigate this kind of discouragement? This is one of the reasons, and especially in ministry, I would tell pastors, but I tell anyone is you you have to understand the leadership fundamental just as much as a secular leader. I don't, and it doesn't matter how spiritual or godly you are because you have to be wise. Mm. An awful lot of pastors, uh, especially in the last 30 years, have punctured their ministry and sunk them in some cases, not because what they wanted to do was a bad idea, but because they did it in an unwise way. You know, they've gone to some conference and they've seen some other church that impressed them, and then they go home and want to change everything. And the people will get rid of them, frankly, in some cases, because they come back in in, in an unwise manner, try to implement sudden changes. Mm. And so that's why the fundamentals of leadership are so important 
for, no matter how godly and spiritual you are, is you have to be wise about how you implement things. Mm. And so, whether secular world or not, that's how I help people. One of my personal strengths is uh, leadership strategy and messaging. How to get a group of people to go from here to here in the smoothest uh, way that where people are motivated to go with you there. That's the art of leadership. Mm. And so Moses, he's doing the best he can, but he doesn't have a coach other than the Lord himself, I guess. <laughs> it's a pretty good coach, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, navigating that and being wise is so important. And, and we can all point to experiences where we've been either felt like you get this quick jerk change and you're kind of got whiplash because you're like, wait a second, what just happened? We were going this direction and now the leaders totally shifted and it's disorienting and frustrating because you haven't been brought along. And I definitely know that feeling. I'm wondering too, though, as a leader, so you've coached someone through all of this leadership change and they've managed this well, or even just not even leaders, but all of us have to make big decisions in our lives that sometimes are big changes that happen. And a lot of times those don't go as easily as planned or the things don't turn out the way we hope. I mean, we talked about that at the very beginning, but I'm wondering how do we know and, or, and how would you coach someone, whether it's in a leadership place or, or from a pastoral position to either say, keep leaning in to the circumstances, even though they're hard versus, yeah, we need to pay attention to those circumstances. And maybe it's, t- maybe those circumstances are informing us that we're actually not heading the right direction. That, that's a real good question. I think the way I would approach that is, Number one, um, the word of God is your, that's your North Star. Does the scriptures, do they clearly say something that I'm, that's the right thing? But also I would tell any leader, and this is in any sphere, do not get isolated. You do not want to be isolated. In fact, uh, there's a writer on leadership I like who wrote, the lone wolf style of leadership is heroic suicide meaning you don't want to be out there all by yourself. And so I would tell any leader, Christian or otherwise, is you need a circle of co-leaders. You need people around you who are mature, that you trust, who they're they're like-minded with you in that wanting to do the right thing. And you need to test your ideas with them. Mm -hmm. Because none of us knows everything. We all make mistakes. We all have flaws. So I need other people to bounce my thinking off of. Am I on the right track here? What do you guys think? Or what do you ladies think? And <clears throat> and then we together, see, the Lord will lead through a body of people. And so that's a real important checkpoint for us. But you have to be careful about reading signs. I mean, that's a Christians are awful about this. You know, like this bad thing happened. What is God telling me? Well, unless he speaks, I don't know. I'm not sure he is mm-hmm. telling you something. I do know he's telling you to trust him, but be careful about trying to read circumstances as God's will. Yeah, that's really good. I think a lot of times we do read circumstances or we even read our emotions mm-hmm. as the metric. And those those things can be very flawed. <laughs> absolutely. You're absolutely right. 
And so the Word of God is the objective truth that we should seek to find the, the answers in. Yes, God leads us through His Spirit. And people say, well, does God speak to me through His Spirit? Absolutely, but here's the problem. The average human heart and mind is like a bad committee meeting. There's a lot of voices going on in there. <laughs> and the question is, is God one of them? Yeah, I be- if you're a believer, I believe one of them is, but how do you know which one? Right. It's Is it the one I feel the most? Oh, you better be careful of that one. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Is it? We don't know. Is it my digestion? Is it my bad background? Is it my dad's voice from when I was a kid? There's a lot of voices in here. Mm-hmm. So I believe one of them's God, but you have to know his voice pretty well to know which one. And you get to know his voice through the scriptures. That's right. Which is one of the reasons why, and I feel like I say this on almost every podcast, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why we have to create space for God in our lives. One of the reasons why we have to be consistent in reading his word, because that is how we get to know his voice and mm-hmm. how we can discern it from one of the false voices that can sometimes be really loud and really persistent in our heart and our mind. Oh, in our feelings. Yes. Yeah, our emotions and our desires can be so strong, they basically overwhelm everything else. Yeah. Unless we're determined to seek God's. And that's why I also love that you talked about surrounding yourself with people who are wise wise counsel, Um, Mm -hmm. whether that's a leadership team or whether that's a friend who just really knows you well, that you can process something, you know, changes with and can pray with you and actually seek the Lord with you. Those, those things are just have been, they have been a game changer for my spiritual journey. Because anytime I try to make a decision on my own and it doesn't go well, then I'm really going to question, oh, did I make a mistake? And if I've gone carefully and I have sought God and I have leaned on other people, then I can endure the circumstances a little better, depending on what they are. Mm-hmm. Now, in the years, I, you know, I was in the ministry 28 years, 13 as a senior pastor. There were many times we didn't know the right answer. Mm. And it was sometimes the best thing to do is wait, mm. which is I'd throw out something I was thinking about to the elders, for example, that was my circle. What do you all think? And we batted around for a while, and the answer is we aren't sure. Well, uh, this is not scriptural, but I've learned the wisdom of the phrase, if if in doubt, don't. <laughs> if in doubt, don't. Just yeah. wait. Give God a little time to make it clear. Because how many times do you have to make a decision right now? Yeah. Not often. Mm-mm. Sometimes, but not often. It's really, let's not be rash here. Yeah. Good. And the other thing is the messaging is so so important, <clears throat> which is why knowledge of human nature is so necessary for leaders. It's not just, is this message clear in my head, in the reasoning? How will it fall on their ears? Mm. How are they going to hear this? And how should I say it so they hear it in the best way? That's the messaging part of leadership. And so... There's a lot of people who have very good intentions. I would even agree with what they're trying to do, but then they do it in a poor way mm-hmm. and, and it turns people off. Yeah. So how how should we present this so that they're likely to say, yeah, we agree with you. It's a good idea because leadership is never about making people do things. It's about winning followers, mm-hmm. willing followers. 
So the question is, can you do that? Yeah, that's good. Well, Tim, is there anything else in this passage that stood out to you before we close our time together? Well, I think it's the same kind of thing you see in the entire scriptures that are narrative stories. Moses is human, just like us. Mm -hmm. These names, some of these names are so famous. Abraham, Moses, David, so on. Peter, John, Paul, that we think they're different than us. They're not regular humans. No, they're just like us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I promise. Same human nature, same doubts, same weaknesses. Yeah, that's good. I think that's one of the things I really want to encourage people to remember is Moses faced a lot of the same decisions that we have to face a lot. He held the same emotion, obviously different because he's a different person, lived in a different time. But yes, like you're just saying, fully human. Well, yeah. And people have, they've seen biblical movies, you know, Charlton Heston and everything and, uh, or other biblical things. And we really don't believe they're like us. We, we see them walking around in sandals and robes or living in a tent. And we think, oh, they're different. No, human nature has never changed. And if you could go back in time, yes, the culture and the language are different. Human beings are exactly what they are today. If you could go back three, four thousand years or more. It's a good reminder. Well, Tim, as always, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for helping us dive into this passage and notice some new things about it. So I appreciate you taking some time for us. It's been fun as I knew it would be. (laughs) And I will post links in the show notes to Tim's book and how to find him online so you can sign up for his newsletter. Uh, Well, friends, I also just want to thank you for joining us today on So Much More because we do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us. And this is one way we're creating space to listen. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word kainos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.